0: You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Eric Name. As always, I'm joined by my good friend Frank Madden, and it is mailbag time, Frank. You hear me? Mailbag time.
0: It is mailbag time, and um, I think I should ask the first questions, Eric.
1: <laughs> Why would that be, Frank?
0: Because the first ones we got had a recurring theme, and oh, um, I'll just read out. I'll just read out a few. Um, <laughs> you'll see some familiar names here. Uh, Eric, uh, our friend John Hartzell asks, "Why doesn't Eric not hate fun?" And our other friend Dan Schaefer asks, "What will make Eric change his anti-fun position?" And Jeremy Keith asked, what did fun ever do to Eric? And <laughs> if you happen to miss our conversation on Tuesday night after, or published Wednesday, uh, after the Spurs shockingly lost to uh, our dear Milwaukee Bucks, uh, I, I believe everyone is referring to the fact that... Uh, and I, See, I kind of dodged a bullet here, Eric, because I was I kind of went along with you a little bit, because I was also similarly like not over the moon, even though this was a very improbable win. I, and again, I would blame it because my Giannis fanboy in me was kind of bummed that, that Giannis was still sick and played and obviously didn't do much much of anything in nine minutes. And it was just a weird game um, in general for a lot of reasons. But uh, you you apparently were, and I think it was probably also partly because uh, you you didn't seem excited about Thonmaker Maker playing in games and Accused Bucks fans of being sarcastic About uh, their excitement when, when he plays Correct. So do you have any Do you have any uh, response To these charges of um, Of being anti-fun
1: I think I'm very much someone who Tries to stay away from extreme highs And lows Um, I pride myself on that, though that may not be great for a daily podcast, um, which which I do realize um, I should probably have more fiery takes that would all even out there in the middle um, as we go through a season. So I I should allow myself maybe a little bit more to to get up and and get down, Um, but I did not not give myself that opportunity last night. I apologize for nothing. Um, I I don't feel bad about it. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> uh, I I don't know. Like I I very much feel like I give my feelings and what I'm feeling at the time when we're recording this to this podcast. And last night didn't do it for me. And uh, you know what? That's that's just kind of how it how it was. And uh, yeah, I I think that's what that's where I'll leave it. I don't hate Thon Maker. I don't hate that the Bucks beat the Spurs. I just am, am not <laughs> as excited as everyone else was last night.
0: All right. Well, and and for the record, I, I imagine you are also um anti celebrations after touchdowns in the NFL. And <laughs> uh I don't know. I, I haven't seen you kick a puppy, but um I wouldn't put it past you. Um That's so. fair. <laughs> let's move on. Um these were kind of, I don't know why I'm, I'm putting these up up front, but it's basically in the order that I, I put all these into a document. So we got a ton of questions, so we'll we'll, we'll see how quickly we move through them. We'll, we may be, for once in our lives, a bit more um, succinct in, in going through these because we have so many. Fingers but, crossed. Um, yeah. But I, one topic that we have talked very little about, um, because the Bucks have been pretty decent... Uh, is the NBA draft, and we had a couple questions uh, from Mark Beller. Uh, Mark asked, what type of player will the Bucks target in the draft? And Barsket Ball asked, should the Bucks angle for a high draft pick like Natilinka? Nitili- N- Frank Natilenka? I think that maybe is how his name is pronounced. Um, even if it jeopardizes this playoff run, um, Frank is a French uh, point guard, big point guard, who uh, I think he's 18 and tearing it up in France considered a potential top five pick and lots of, um, lots of guards in the mix, uh, lots of point guards in particular, um, kind of in the conversation in the lottery this time around. But I, I don't know, Eric, I haven't thought about this that much because as of right now, the bucks, as of this very moment on Thursday or on Wednesday night are in the seventh spot in the East. And certainly they've been in that sort of, uh, low playoff seed range, which obviously would put them in the latter half of the first round. So I don't know um, best player available. I don't know. They could use a a dynamic guard, but I can't say it's. I've thought too much about
1: it. Yeah, I was gonna say most of the time my draft prep starts pretty much when like March Madness begins, and then once the NBA season ends, I'll cram for a while. Or I like once we get to the playoffs, um, I'll start to cram quite a bit. And
0: since the Bucks usually aren't involved, yeah,
1: correct. And I guess kind of the way I approach it is that. I always am concerned that if you're watching too much college basketball, you can kind of fall in love with a prospect. Like you think, "Oh, the Bucks could really use this." And then you find the guy that you think fits that, and then for the entire season, you're watching him and the only thing you're seeing are are the things that make him look good. So that as you're trying to break down who the Bucks should draft, you're you're just reciting all of that player's great games and all the great things that he did in his highlights, and maybe lose a bit of perspective. So I try to stay away from that with the draft. So I, I normally don't look, even in bad seasons. I, I try to keep myself away from any of the any of the mocks and any of the the major scouting stuff for a good long while I, I try to hold out as long as possible this year i don't really have to hold out uh, i think the bucks are going to be good for a while um as far as should they angle for a high draft pick no uh, i don't i don't think so
0: they can't i mean it's almost yeah at this point it's probably I mean, too they, late. They, they could i mean they could finish in the lottery right yeah. i mean they could miss the playoffs um but are they going to, to you know be a top eighteen? team like that just doesn't seem uh, yet
1: yeah, i mean to get a high pick they're what 19 and 18 now like you gotta lose you, you can win what like five to ten games the rest of the year to get like to still be in there for a like a top five to eight pick there's not a it would be pretty hard to to tank to that Epic of a of, of a proportion, and it's just not going to happen with Giannis. So um, that seems unlikely. As far as what they target, I mean, my answer is always is BPA, um, whatever you, whatever's the best player on the board. That's who you take, no matter what the position is, because that stuff figures itself out later. But this year, it might be <laughs> it might not be bad if that uh, BPA is a guard, um, because yeah, like you said, the, a dynamic guard would kind of be not the missing piece, but a, a piece that you would think is might fit in a little bit better with this Bucks roster.
0: Yeah, and I think to summarize, Eric Name's uh, preparation for the draft involved trying to stay as uninformed as possible for as long as possible. So Correct. Um, so that's the kind of hard-hitting analysis you're going to get next next spring. Um, hey, I, I really actually, cram, I, Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do, you do, and and just to give people an idea of it, I mean, I'm looking on Tankathon.com, which um, has not been getting as much traffic for me for obvious reasons uh, compared to last year. Um, Bucks currently project to be 17th, um, so that lucky Rashad Vaughn slot uh, again this year. We'll see how that evolves, obviously, as, as uh, the season goes on. But um, you know, it's it's interesting because y- you look at it, uh, you know, the Knicks at 17 and 22. Uh, are 12th, Magic at 16 and 23, are 10th. Um, so teams that aren't wildly far from the Bucks in the standings uh, are substantially higher in the draft order, which you know gives you some idea. There's some teams. I think Denver at 14 and 23, uh, and Minnesota at 12 and 26. Uh, Minnesota is number six right now. Denver's number eight. I mean, you know, you could see those teams turning stuff around in the second half, and and I don't know. I mean, could they come? Could they make up, you know, whatever it is, seven games or so on the on a team like the Bucks? Um, obviously, there's lots of other teams between them. You know, some of those teams could could move up. The Bucks could fall down. Um, you know, again, they could be late lottery. Um, and I, and I should correct. I, I just checked the Draft Express board. Um, Frank Natilikina, I'm assuming that's how his name's pronounced. Uh, looking at the spelling, it was misspelled in the question. I, I read it wrong. But uh, he's currently projected 11th. Um, but there's a whole slew of of point guards. Um, in fact, Draft Express has the top three being Markel Fultz from Washington, Lonzo Ball from UCLA, and Dennis Smith, NC State. All three um, going one, two, three. Uh, I've seen all then, three of those
1: guys play already this year.
0: Yeah, and De'Aaron Fox from Kentucky's ten. Well, oh, I've seen him uh, too. French Frank is number eleven, um, and then there's a bit of a, a drop before you see the next uh, the next point guard. So, um, so yeah. I think it'll be interesting to watch. We know the Bucks are not afraid to just kind of gamble on on upside guys, and um, I'm fine with that. Because remember, look at this last draft. You know, people try to go for like the quote unquote ready guy. I mean, Buddy Hilt's playing better of late, but you know, with the exception of the Malcolm Brogdon's of the world that occasionally come along, a lot of really you know mature four year senior type guys. I mean. Th- those guys aren't guaranteed to just immediately be good NBA players either. And yep. you know, you're ready when you're ready, you know, Draymond green for your player. He was bad as a rookie, right? It took <laughs> him a couple yeah. of years to, to really figure it out. So, um, anyway, let's move on. Uh, next section trades. Um, we'll start with the generic trade question. I could almost like read all of these that we've got, six questions on trades and i think i feel like they're all i say kind of do it over. i say
1: do it and then we can kind of just uh okay or we can go every other you you take the first one
0: justin cape asks a little over a month out from the trade deadline any predictions what bucks may do if they do anything and i'll read the next one too just because it's similar uh, matt Bovey asks, would you expect them to make any deadline deals uh
1: sam asks or samuel uh Marringer, i think that's gonna be it asked does john henson have any trade value he shouldn't dot 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 would you <laughs> trade him for a second round pick um espen i'm not going to try your other two names i i apologize but asking us, do you see any realistic moves regarding this the center situation which obviously also similar in the last two frank
0: yeah and then uh, garvin asked do you guys think think trading for bogut makes sense and Griffin Gross asked, "Do you, get, do you think a guy like Newland's Noel fixes our center problem? I know it's basically impossible. Just curious. So, uh, I guess let's start with the generic one, Eric. I mean, do you? What, are, what is the probability that the Bucks make a move for the deadline this year? What, what would you kind of put it at at this point?
1: I mean, it doesn't feel particularly good to me. I don't think there's a good chance of it. Um, but at the same time." the bucks are rolling when they made the, the Brandon Knight MCW trade again, different situations. Ownership's been here a little bit longer and maybe they're a little bit more confident with the pieces that they've assembled for this team. So again, not exactly similar situations. Um, but at that time I would have said, I don't, I don't think it's particularly likely, uh, that this bucks team is going to make a move. Obviously they did. Um, I, I don't think there, there's going to be a ton of movement. Um, I mean, for me, dream scenario is to clear some of that center cap out of there, to to move Hanson, move Plumley, one of those two, and try to clear some of the the money you've already spent on the center position out of there, and and then maybe you're a little bit more, uh, a little bit you can deal with Monroe opting in, opting out a little bit easier, and if you opt out, then I mean you've cleared a, a ton of salary and that gives you a little bit more flexibility. Not a ton because like you like you'll let us know you add Jabari's max or near max to that and well, your money's kind of disappearing pretty quickly. But to me that's a dream scenario, but that scenario doesn't feel incredibly likely to me because of the way Henson's played thus far this year and the fact that Plumley well hasn't played and has four years fifty two million that 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 doesn't seem particularly movable um but i I guess what uh what are your thoughts as we get closer to the trade deadline
0: yeah i think moving henson since he's actually playing um you know to to kind of answer the question from sam um you know does john henson have any trade value? i mean i think all centers right now probably have depressed trade value just because there's so many that teams seem open to moving and um you know, the centers have kind of become commoditized to 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 an extent. Uh, and I think, you know, teams like, like the Bucks, you know, putting a lot of money into the center position now are kind of in this, you know, situation where, well, lots of teams have sunk a lot of money into centers and nobody's really clamoring to, to get a center. Um, and so it's, it's kind of tough. So, you know, is there a team out there that might be interested in John Henson? He's on a declining salary deal. Um I think he'd only be 29 when his deal is up. So, you know, you're getting him for theoretically his prime years versus Plumlee, who's a couple years older, which I think makes him harder to move. Even if he was playing, might be a little harder to move. Um, so, I don't know. I, I would say maybe, you know, 30, 35% likelihood of a deal. I think probably more likely than not, they, they don't make a move. I, I imagine with things, um, knock on wood, going pretty well. Uh, that they'll be less inclined to do a deal although um, you know I, I think it seems like we hear these rumblings that they're still open to trading Monroe and I imagine that's probably mostly because um, the possibility that you know he could leave for for quote unquote nothing this summer obviously um, you know and and if you're not going to have much cap space or, or any cap space for the next couple of years then uh, then maybe you try to cash him in for for something. but again as we've brought up, well, what is that something? Who's giving up real value for an expiring, potentially Greg Monroe, and and I just don't know. And you know, again, who knows? Maybe he opts in. That's certainly a possibility as well. But um, but yeah, so I don't think it's very likely. But I think um, if you were to trade, you know, I, I mentioned on Twitter the other day if if the Mavs thought John Henson still was you know a nice piece, and they looked at Andrew Bogut as just an expiring contract who's who's leaving, and John Henson was a guy that they wanted and they figured that was the best they could do. I don't know if that's true. Um, I would, I would trade for Bogut. I mean, Bogut instead of uh, John Henson in the starting five playing 20 minutes a game. I mean that, I think that could work.
1: Yeah. And uh, I mean the elbow, the elbow corner series is kind of, kind of perfect for Bogut he's he's a good passer and obviously he was part of kind of what made all of the the Warriors split cuts and all the Warriors crazy movement and passing he was definitely a part of that and definitely part of the reason why uh, that offense just hummed along so well was it kind of his passing and him being able to find cutters and obviously set probably illegal screens uh, but that's okay. Uh, that's that's kind of I think the appeal of Bogut. So yeah, I, I would, I'd be down for that. Main, like I said, if I have a top priority in making a trade this deadline, it's clear, clear center space. Like let's let's get some of that future money out, and that would be one heck of a way to do it. And I, I guess going back to the original John Henson premise, I am totally totally fascinated by john henson's value elsewhere in the league and and i've been fascinated by it for the i, I mean since the moment he got in milwaukee pretty much uh just because I, I wasn't necessarily thinking he was worth the extension that he got i didn't necessarily see what what would have got him that contract. I know he had a good playoff series against the bulls and well, that's exciting playoff Henson, et cetera. I roll for me. Um, but I'm just fa- Like I have no idea league wide. If other teams think his rim protection is real. I don't know if other teams think he can be kind of the, the anchor in a defense. And, and I guess I, I say that I don't know these things Because one, I don't get to talk to him, but two, it it seems like every offseason, there's someone from a a national outlet that says, man, John Henson's crazy underrated, or why doesn't John Henson play more than he does? And part of me wonders, I, I know everyone has scouts, and there's probably not that same idea among scouts and GMs around the league, but I do wonder, like, are there other teams out, like, even if it's just two, are there, like, two other teams out there that would love to have John Henson on their team and take a chance on John Henson, because, again, the the contract isn't great for the Bucks because they're spending so much money at the center position, but I don't know if a, a, another team, if you think John Henson is a piece moving forward, like you said, he's moving into what should be his prime years, he's shown that he can be a rim protector before, like, is there someone out there that thinks, you know what, this is this is the perfect time to buy low on John Henson um, I, I would just be fascinated to know that
0: yeah I mean there's been you know allusions to him being not maybe not shopped hard uh, at any point but being available um, but I mean he's been long he's been with the bucks longer than any other player on the roster uh, so he's always been in this weird space and the irony is you know, we talked how every coach who's had him, which has been, I don't know how was, is, is he up to four coaches, or I don't, I don't even I think remember. It, I guess let's see, it's Aiden what Kyle. It,
1: yeah, it's four coaches for sure. Yeah, I think it's four coaches.
0: Yeah, if you include uh, Jim Boyle, and I guess
1: yeah, like, Skyles uh, Boylan, Boylan, Drew and Kid, yeah,
0: Kid, yeah. So I mean, up until this year, the joke has always been that you know Henson puts up you know a good PER and and does some things per minute that are impressive, and then. You know, he just doesn't seem to play much, and always loses out minutes to Zaza Pachulia and you know Miles Plumlee and all these other guys. And now he's finally doing it, and ironically, he's not playing well. <laughs> and uh, uh, our friend Kurt Leidinger, uh, this kind of jumps to another question down the down the uh, list a little bit, but uh, he tweeted, "Is kid insane?" and linked to a uh, a real GM post where he had just posted some of the um, <laughs> the the lineup stats and you know how you know we've mentioned it. I mean, the Bucks have been infinitely better with Greg Monroe on the court than John Henson and you know John Henson seems like um in a lot of ways probably especially with Brogdon starting now I mean he's the weak link of the starting five yeah um and so you know we've kind of debated and I think we're both a bit torn on you know do you start Miles Plumley and keep Monroe coming off the bench maybe now being an extended minute guy off the bench so he's getting starter type minutes but you know not actually starting games giving another guy sort of the J.O.B. start um or do you just bite the bullet and start start Monroe, even though you know his offense probably is less needed with you know Giannis and Jabari starting together at the same time, and especially Brockton? So um, it's a weird it's a weird thing. I mean, I don't know. I, I do you think do you think that this is partly a a trade value thing? I mean, it's kind of hard to say unless they actually we actually hear anything about them trying to move Henson, but. You joked about doing this. Uh, joke. I mean, you suggested it <laughs> yeah. uh, before the season start. John Henson, when we all thought you know Plumlee would be the guy, but eventually henson did move into the starting lineup, and he's continued to start despite basically playing arguably the worst basketball of his career.
1: I man, that that would be awesome, wouldn't it? If that was that was kind of the play, that would make me feel uh, a little bit better about continuing to see john henson just submarine the bucks lineups um i I guess part of me thinks well there's been plenty of of bad miles plumley this year as well um that i don't necessarily know that there's a win to be had among among those two guys um and i don't is is phrasing it that is kid insane and is he an idiot whatever like I, I don't know if like I, I don't think that's necessary like I do obviously there's questions to be asked about why Henson starting but at the same time Miles Plumley was just as bad pretty much in the starting lineup um so uh I, I'm at the I'm at a spot where I hope I hope there's someone out there that that is really excited to try to buy low on Henson or bite the bullet on Plumley. I, I really do hope that um, but neither of them are are playing particularly well. Um, I, I've never really loved either of their contracts um, I don't know it, it's just it's just interesting to see if I, I guess the the on the other side of this is it does seem to kind of firm up that, they very much believe in keeping Greg Monroe under hopefully 30 minutes a night that even on the nights where they want him to close and play, I don't know, the final 12 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it is, like still only get him up to 32, that maybe there is something to the idea that you don't want to get Monroe all the way up there that you want to try to keep him down closer to 25. And maybe that's part of what's allowing Monroe to, to really thrive. Um, But yeah, I'm, I mean, we've been talking about it for, I don't know, a week now, about is Henson's time in the starting lineup coming to an end? And, I, I mean, I I think every game that goes by, I think we're getting closer and closer to it.
0: Yeah, and the interesting thing is, if you look at Greg Monroe's uh, stats over the last five games, so month of January, 15.6 points, 9.0 rebounds, 3.4 assists, 0.8 blocks, 2.0 steals on 57% shooting in 29.4 minutes. So he's basically back to sort of the minutes he was getting as a starter last year. The numbers are basically the same. Um, The raw numbers are kind of the same. His assists are way up. Um, Steals are way up uh, compared to last year, which is why his efficiency numbers have been so good. Um, His PR is 22.51 right now. (laughs) Um, His RPM is, I think, over 3 uh, you know, he's, he, the numbers don't lie, right? I mean, he's, he's been phenomenal as a net rating guy all year bucks, best player in that regard. Um, so, I mean, I think kid is adjusting, uh, even if he's not starting, if he's, even if he's still starting Henson, I think on, you know, justifiably, you know, he's playing Monroe more. I, I, I asked if Monroe could maintain the same level of efficiency and, and defensive effort, uh, playing more minutes. Um, I think so far, so good on that front. Yeah, I agree. you know, again, he probably has fresher legs now than he did, you know, in most other Januaries just because he hasn't played as much uh, in the first couple months of the season. So I think it'll be interesting to watch. Um, But I think if Greg Monroe's is getting 29 minutes a game and, you know, you can use him to close when you think it's, you know, tactically makes sense, Mm -hmm. um, then I'm I'm fine with him continuing to come off the bench. Um, I think, you know... To, I think what he brings there in his advantage, because that's the thing too. Like Greg Monroe against second units, you, you know, like if, if John Henson comes off the bench, the advantage is he's going up against maybe lesser centers who aren't going to you know back him under the rim and mm-hmm. use their strength on him. So that that's a positive. But John Henson isn't gonna like you're not gonna go like play through the post <laughs> like, because John Henson no. is going against the second unit center, right? I mean, he's still gonna do the same thing offensively. Whereas Monroe is. You know, his passing and, and back to the basket game um, and his skill level, I think, is amplified against second unit bigs in a way that, you know, I don't know. I'm not to say he can't be efficient against starters because he, he has been. Um, but clearly something has clicked this year um, in this role. And, you know, I, I think if, if you can get him more minutes at the expense of, of Henson or, or Plumlee, if Plumlee came back, um, I think that's a positive, And thankfully, we're starting to see that. Um let's just
1: piggyback on that. Uh Marcus asks us, um Greg Monroe, Six Man of the Year? Are are I love this are question? We, I love this. Are, question. are we to the point where we're asking that? I, I I almost have to think we are.
0: Yeah, I mean he won't win it because of all the awards, six man of the year and rookie of the year are probably the most like stupidly myopic in terms of being just solely points per game driven it's just like always like the guy who scores a lot of he points. Say, he's, he's not an inefficient
1: himself. trucker that comes off the bench so yeah probably not
0: exactly i mean six man is basically a combo guard award basically yeah um which is why jamal crawford wins it even though like he really <laughs> ha- i don't think he deserved it last year um lou williams has been really good this year but i mean again he's also playing on a crappy warriors team um wilson chandler's been good he's not a combo guard but wilson chandler scored a lot of points um, i'm sure i'm forgetting some guys but you know it's it's unfortunate i mean rose up over 10 points a game now uh 10.6 seven boards two point six um, we six. We've mentioned you know just his efficiency numbers and all that i mean I, I think his body of work the impact um how good the bucks have been with him on the court and the narrative you know of, of him taking that role and uh the bucks being you know much better for it um i i think he's got a really great case and i I guess we should start pumping it up a little bit more because um, I'm not sure if you know, kind of the media has really realized it. I feel like a lot of times when I hear, um, like when I think when the Bucks played the Bulls on that TNT game, like Reggie Miller was still the last year, you know, playbook of like, oh, Greg Monroe's big free agent signing, and he it hasn't worked out. Oh, he's coming off the mm-hmm. bench now. It's like, dude, I know you're an oh, idiot because you're Reggie working. Miller, but
1: it's working. Yeah,
0: I mean, whatever. So that that probably hurts um but i think i think smart basketball fans would look at what he's doing and and hopefully realize that he should be right there
1: yeah i'm trying i look back jamal crawford lou williams jamal crawford jr smith james harden lamar odom jamal crawford jason terry uh with the dallas mavericks manu leandro barbosa mike miller ben gordon yeah you go back 10 years it's it's pretty much all combo guards um so yeah that does hurt monroe but yeah I guess part of me thinks when uh, we I read uh, the piece today from our good friend Jonathan Charks um, at the Ringer who kind of broke down some of last night's Spurs-Bucks game and had some different observations and stuff and mentioned that these two teams have some of the best bench units in the league, and that kind of thing helps. If people are thinking, okay, the Bucks bench is one of the best in the league, why is it one of the best in the league? And you'd you kind of hope that they, they dig into that, and maybe if the, the season continues to go well for the Bucks, that starts to be a, a bigger deal, that, oh, the Bucks are, let's say, the sixth seed, the fifth seed, whatever it may be, um, and a lot of their success is because of their bench unit. And I guess you'd kind of hope that the national narrative of the team may help carry uh, Greg Monroe's, sixth man of the year candidacy a little bit i don't know if that will necessarily happen i'm not holding my breath on it um but he's certainly deserving as i've said a million times he's he's playing the best basketball of his life and i don't think it's particularly close um so let's hope that that he does kind of get that chance and people do realize it but yeah that i don't i don't know i don't know if there's any reason why he shouldn't be in in the middle of the six man of the year conversation
0: yeah i mean probably hurting him is a guy like you know canter is and his canter is, is the obvious big guy archetype for the uh second unit you know skilled uh scorer off the bench you know a post guy um and you know canter the thing with canter obviously is that his defense is and maybe it's not as bad this year as previous years but um you know he, he's a one-way player, and he's putting up phenomenal efficiency numbers this year. He's at almost 14 points a game, six boards, um, a PER of almost 25. Um, and obviously, the the Thunder have been a good story as well. So, a guy like that could, um, you know, people might look at him and say, "Oh, well, you know, Cantor and Monroe, like they're both score, you know, kind of like old school low post scoring big guys as part of second units, and they both aren't good defenders." Even though Monroe, I think, if you you know are paying attention, has been much better. Than, than previously this year, and it's and been totally fine. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um, in the vein of uh, awards, Bucks in the mix for awards, um, Matt B asks, even if Brognon doesn't improve, is he still a valuable piece toward a ring or is he expendable? And Ricky G asks, does the Prez have any shot of stealing the Rookie of the Year from Embiid? Um, and I'll say, very obviously, Brogdon is a valuable piece definitely I wouldn't say he's expendable Um, I don't know if he's high ceiling Um, and I would say he is locked into you know sort of that probably second spot right now behind Embiid and the only way he's going to win rookie of the year is if Embiid doesn't play 58 games which is the minimum requirement to win the award
1: yeah definitely agree it's Embiid's award and yeah the only reason would be he doesn't play enough um and even if he doesn't improve, is he valuable? Yeah, he's going to be in a rookie contract uh, for a while. That is... Uh, I mean, we've talked about it a bunch of times. It's insanely valuable. So, they're getting a great contribution out of a rookie contract in its first year. Um, years two and three, even more valuable. So, uh, that, that's a good thing for the Bucks. Actually, I don't know. Does he have... What is his second round deal? Do we know how many years the Bucks signed him to?
0: Yeah, I, th- I think he got the standard. The Bucks pretty much always do that three right they always do three because after the third year you're still a restricted free agent um so it's definitely like a sweet spot type deal because uh you know that way you sort of control them from a, a cost perspective um even on their second contract so um so i think you know the bucks have had a lot of uh whiffs on on second round picks since basically i mean he's pretty much the best second round pick or the only really good second round pick they've had since Luke Bamute um and uh Nate Walters
1: is going to be at your door tomorrow he's offended Frank
0: Nader's Nader's gonna Nate (laughs) Um, but yeah he's he's making nine nine hundred fifty five thousand next year a million fifty uh in the 18-19 season so uh, Malcolm Brogdon will be a major cap bargain and as we always say I mean you need guys on these really cheap deals yeah. that contribute in order to to be a great team and obviously the Bucks have ambitions of becoming a great team and, and we'll see kind of what happens long term I, I will say this though I mean Brogdon is also the kind of guy where teams or sorry fans can get so excited and attached to them because they are such you know they're so overachieving sort of their mm-hmm. expectations that fans will often be like, oh, you know, we, we're not trading him, you know, and, and you, <laughs> you know, opposing fan bases will use him in a deal for, you know, a bigger star player or something like that. And people will be just, we're not giving up Brogdon. It's like, you know, you want to kind of be realistic, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. Malcolm Brogdon is not untradeable. No. Um, I, I see no reason for the Bucks to want to trade him. He could be a great long-term fit in Milwaukee. Everybody raves about him as a person. And he's obviously played really well in his first year. And, and hopefully he'll get better. But, um, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I don't think anybody has illusions of, of Brogdon becoming an all-star or, you know, a top five point guard or something like that. So, you know, whatever, you got to be open, but, but certainly his contract and his contributions and um, you know, the kind of guy he is, I think everybody's really excited to, to have him as a, as a piece of the team moving
1: forward. Okay. Next one, Jordan Carrick um, asks, Boston or Toronto in a seven game series, how many games do the Bucks get?
0: Uh, Wait. So, are we supposed to say Boston versus Toronto as well, or are we just asking if we'd prefer the Bucks against Boston or Toronto? You're supposed.
1: To, I think. Who do you prefer between Boston or Toronto? Okay.
0: Um, I mean, every time the Bucks play the Raptors, it just seems like the Raptors score a bajillion points, yes. and even when the Bucks play well, they just are fighting uphill. So I want nothing I would, to do
1: with them. Nothing.
0: <laughs> I would. I would say. I would say the the Celtics sort of by default. Um, and we haven't even
1: seen them play the Celtics, and I say the Celtics. Right. Like, like they, they could get boat raced against the Celtics in the first game. That could happen, but I want nothing to do with the Raptors.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I would take Boston. Um, how many games do the Bucks get off the Celtics? I don't know, two, maybe? I don't think they beat the Celtics. Yeah,
1: I feel good saying one, but I, I need to see them play each other once this year with Horford and with kind of Isaiah Thomas being awesome and stuff i want to see what the bucks have for the for the celtics this year the
0: one thing i think that would work in the bucks favor against a team like the celtics because you know the celtics don't have like terrific rim protection um they have they have some really great perimeter defenders and like smaller guards um defensively so you know again i i think that could work very well in for the bucks because I, i do think you know i don't think al horford is gonna be you know Pre- preventing Jabari and Giannis from from finishing at the rim, um, and you know they just don't have kind of anybody else who's you know. In, there's no you know Hassan Whiteside type shot blocker who's who could cause the Bucks some problems in that regard. Um, so so yeah, um, I don't know. We'll see. Let's 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 see how the Bucks do against the Celtics, and maybe we'll come back and revise that. Um, getting into some like strategy talk and rotations and all that stuff. Um, Paul Gagne uh, at the kids' table asks, should Beasley, Parker, and Giannis all be on the floor together in crunch time? Could that work with the center as well? Eric, I think you had some clear feelings on this.
1: I don't like it. Uh, (laughs) um, I I guess, again, it was cool to see Beasley close out a game, but unless he's the guy you want closing, I don't know if he's necessarily the guy you want on the floor um just cuz he, he's a he's a bit of a ball stopper um which i don't love um he he's i mean he's not terrible catch and shoot so so that might be helpful um but i guess i would probably prefer like uh, Deli brogdon instead of uh, like Brogdon, Beasley, Parker, Giannis with a center, um, and I guess going super small, maybe that's that's interesting. With Giannis essentially serving as your as your nominal center, uh, Parker at the four, Beasley at the three, and then whoever you want between Deli and Snell and Terry at the two, and Brogdon at the one. Maybe that's that's interesting. Um, I don't know it. It's kind of a tough spot. Do, do it, it at the core of the question is how much do you want to lean on Beasley in crunch time? I don't really want to lean on him at all. I I, pre, I prefer that you're going to force feed Giannis and Jabari those reps, and that those are the two guys that have to make the plays for you. Um, but I don't know. What What do you think?
0: Yeah, I I can see the appeal, right? In um, Dan Schaefer, our buddy, after he asked about you hating fun, uh, he asked, "Would it make sense to play Brogdon and Delhi together more often?" Um, you kind of addressed that uh, as a you know, potential combination late in games. We've seen some of that, um, and I think the theory makes some sense in that you know both guys are you know somewhat sure-handed and and can pass, and at least in theory, Delhi <laughs> at some point. Uh, for all of for his entire NBA career up until this year has been a good three point shooter, so yeah. um, those are positive traits to have. You know, whatever, all the usual kind of like scrappy white guy cliches about him <laughs> being a decision maker. But but you know his assist turnover ratio I think is over three still, um, even as much as we've kind of complained about some of the deli's issues in crunch time. Um, but yeah, I think as far as Beasley goes, um, I think the appeal is that. You know, again, you have a guy, if a play breaks down, if he gets the ball and has to do something late in the clock, he can do it, right? And he can get shots for himself. And if you're trying to run, you know, a um, crisp passing offense that, you know, um, forces, you know, a double team and then passes around five times or whatever, um, you know, Beasley isn't your guy (laughs) for that. No. Uh, no. But if you are going to be somewhat chaotic and, you know, guys are going to have to make some plays, you know, then I can see the argument for Beasley. But, I also agree with you. Um, you know, again, Beasley typically plays in lieu of either Giannis or Jabari. Um, you know, playing great in in lieu of Giannis uh, in San Antonio. Uh, that was a you know, terrific performance from Mami. Also, Giannis is absent against Washington, so that, that he's he's definitely been bringing it after some some downtime and some injuries. Um, so I, I think if you played those guys together, I think you'd I'd probably prefer in the context of a small lineup. Yep. Um, and all those guys can switch defensively amongst themselves and can guard some twos as well. So I think if you're trying to feel like a very mobile switchable lineup that, that would definitely have some appeal. So I don't know. I mean that, that maybe, maybe it could work a little bit. Um, but again, is it like a, you know, the solution to the bucks problems term? Um, no, I don't, I, I feel pretty confident saying it's, it's not going to. Magically solve the Bucks' problems, but you know, again, not to take anything away from from Beasley and um, what he was able to accomplish, because that that was certainly impressive. And um, one comment, so just it's still a small sample. We mentioned this a while ago. The the Brogdon Delavido combo started off mm-hmm. pretty poorly. Um, now in 57 minutes, they're they're minus 2.8 points for 100, so it's kind of evened up um, a fair bit. But uh, you know, again, it's not like there's uh, you know, it's a small sample. There's I don't think we, we have any anything there that that would say that you know there's some some magic formula that we've um that we've discovered
1: but as i was gonna say i talked to delhi about it the other night a little bit um he said i mean of course this is what he said because he's a team player and he's matthew Dalvadova, but he was he mentioned that he liked the look he, he, he liked that him and brogdon have some pretty good chemistry more more, uh, excuse me more ball handlers more playmakers on the floor um, and kind of the fact that they might be able to switch some stuff and do some more creative stuff offensively and defensively so Delhi gave it a thumbs up Um, but that's not all that surprising considering Delhi. and that's going to be it for the first part of the mailbag unsurprisingly Frank and I got together and started recording this podcast and got a bunch of questions and (laughs) yeah it's It's going to take way longer than just a single podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with the second part of the mailbag. A lot more questions to get to because you guys were awesome and sent a whole bunch of them in, and, well, Frank and I talk way too much. So second part of the mailbag tomorrow, Friday. We'll see you there. For Frank Madden, this is Eric Name. This has been Locked On Bucks, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.